Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Flutie Flakes cast. I am Doug Flutie. Thanks again for listening in and uh, joining us. Uh, I uh, really had a fun weekend. Actually went over to the Tampa Bay Bucks game versus the Buffalo Bills. Little split. I was kind of, I'm always rooting for Tom Brady. Love Tom. But I had my Buffalo gear out. I was in full-fledged Buffalo head-to-toe because I ran into so many Buffalo Bills fans and had a blast walking around the stadium and uh, you know, meeting people. And, and uh, they were living my stories for me so I could smile once in a while. But uh, absolutely amazing day. It was funny, too. At the end of the night, uh, my wife had seen a couple of different people in the stadium wearing Doug Flutie jerseys still. I mean, what has it been, 15, 16 years anyway? Uh, crazy that they're still that those jerseys are still out there and it, it, it means so much to you to see that and it really warms your heart and sees it so i'm walking out of the stadium and my wife taps me on the shoulder and looks ahead and there's there's a a woman wearing a, a flutie jersey and she she goes go say hi to so i go okay yeah i'll walk up there so she records it and i walk up and i walk up next to her and kind of had my head down and i said uh did you drive down from buffalo for for the game she goes no 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 i'm from long island and i go oh why are you wearing that jersey? He goes, oh, because Doug Flutie was the greatest. And I kind of look at it. She like looks at me. She goes, you know, you look a lot like him. I go, well, maybe because I am. And uh, big smile hit her face. We took a picture. She was very nice, very nice. And we we went on. And uh, I think my wife actually posted that or I posted it on Instagram, one or the other. Anyway, so it was it was just fun for me to be in the stadium with the Buffalo fans. And I was sitting near some Buffalo guys. And of course, my wife is full fledged Tampa Bay rooting for Tom. And uh, Tom Brady, again, just absolutely amazing. The first half was uh, flawless, uh, built the big league for the Bucks, And then, uh, you know, Buffalo got it cranked up in the second half, came all the way back. But what my takeaway from the game, two things I take away from the game. Number one, uh, Josh Allen in the first half of that game was trying. And I, I found out later, you know, after the game that he, he had a little toe issue. And I don't know when that happened, but I think it may have been a good thing for him. Because in the first half, I felt when Josh Allen was blitzed, Josh tried to beat the blitz with his legs and run and move and buy a little time and, and make a throw, and it just wasn't happening. In the NFL especially, unless you're Michael Vick, right? Unless you're one of these guys like Kyler, uh, Kyler Murray that can just absolutely make everybody in the ballpark miss and hang on to the ball, you beat the blitz with your arm. And it was perfectly evident that that's how Tom Brady does it. Josh Allen in the first half did not do it, took some sacks. Uh, couldn't move the ball. It was inconsistent. In the second half, and I don't know if it's because of the toe injury or what, but he started standing in there. The blitz would come. He'd set his feet. Boom, balls out. Even if it's a five-yard completion, that's a good thing. Get the ball out of your hands, into your receiver's hands. Let them do the damage after the fact. So you take that to a whole nother level, and the way the receiver does the damage is the last play of the game. Tampa Bay has these, we call it mesh. We call it drag. You call it whatever you want. It's a pick play. Both guys are running low shallow routes across and rub for each other and it looked like tom wanted to go to his left and the other thing about tom is it looks he looks so comfortable in the pocket his feet his demeanor he's relaxed his feet are still and he just slid a little to the left he wanted to get the guy coming from right to left which uh, i believe was evans and the middle linebackers a free player in the middle so he starts drifting to the left with tom The drag on the left side was not there. Tom just sets his feet calmly, turns back, and coming out the back door to the right, the drag going out to the right, hits it, puts it out in front, takes off on a 58-yard touchdown, game over, done. And it's a five-yard throw. And as long as it's first man coverage and when when it's first blitz and you get the ball out and get it in your receiver's hands, 
You don't have to throw the 60-yard post route. Hang on to the ball for five seconds and throw it as far as you can when it's one-on-one. When it's one-on-one, all you need is one step on a defender. And he hits the underneath route, out the back door, touchdown, game over and overtime, and the Bucs win. Along those lines, Tom Brady now has 36 touchdown passes. He leads the NFL in passing yards with over 4,100. He's in the front. He's the front runner and the, the odds on favorite by Vegas for, for winning the MVP at 44 years old. It's absolutely amazing to watch. Um, you know, there were moments, I mean, the first play of the game, there was a bad snap. It was off to Tom's right, balls on the ground. And Tom, to me, uh, you know, when you step out on the field at the very beginning, you're not always 100% loose. And it almost looked like Tom, Tom wasn't loose yet the way he went over. He did get on the ball, fell on it, and, and recovered it. But uh, it took him a little while to get the body loose and, and ready to roll. But then they go down the field and, and score. So I, I just, I marvel at some of the things he does. There was a touch pass. Um, you got an outside guy running a quick out and the inside guy, the slot running the corner route in order to throw a corner route. It's well over two seconds, usually around 2.4 seconds holding on to the football. A rusher comes free penetrates. I think the back got a piece of him, but Tom wanted to throw the out. And I could see in his body language, it was man to man. He's going to hit the quick out and the out routes getting jumped. So Tom hangs onto it for a fraction of a second. And the corner route is nowhere near ready. It's, it's still developing. He's going to take a step in, make a move on it. And Tom had to put the ball up. So he, fought, he fades away a step, lobs it with a lot of touch, lays it out there. Corner route goes down, makes the move, goes out. Guy runs the ball down, catches it down to the three-yard line. It actually set up a field goal. They didn't get it in the end zone on that drive. But it just showed unbelievable anticipation. Absolutely amazing feel and anticipation. First blitz, first man coverage. And then the second pass that just absolutely amazed me was an early touchdown pass to Michael Levin. He threw a corner route, and it was zone coverage. The short def- defenders were up. They, they covered the short part of the route. The only throw Tom had was going to be the corner, corner route to the back of the end zone. He runs up at the safety and breaks towards the corner. As this happens, the safety feels what's going on and runs with it and undercuts it. And as soon as he started to undercut it, Tom was throwing the ball. And Tom threw it on a line. And I'm thinking, this is picked off. This is the safety played it perfectly. He's going to undercut this ball. It's picked off. Well, Tom felt that at the last instant through the line drive throw, but threw it up high, threw it high over the safety's head as the safety undercut Mike Evans. Mike Evans being as tall as he is and lanky goes up high, catches it in his fingertips, brings it down for a touchdown, and they make it look easy. It's a ball that the majority of quarterbacks in the NFL would have thrown and had it picked off. Tom had a feel for it right at the last instant, puts it up high, it's a touchdown, walks off the field like, you know, no big deal. Those things absolutely amaze me. That's why Tom is the MVP of the league as of now and looks like he's going to win it this year and run out. Well, it is Heisman week. Uh, Bryce Young comes away with the Heisman Trophy. Uh, Another Alabama quarterback, another Alabama kid. Just The job Nick Saban is doing is amazing. He just, he's just, Changing parts. One guy in, one guy out, next guy up. And it's amazing. The thing that amazed me more than anything in the world was as a sophomore, the maturity level of Bryce Young. Uh, it, it just to step into, number one, step into the situation he does at Alabama, step on the field and start winning right away and, and just do what is expected is absolutely amazing to me. Um, he had an unbelievable year, had his big moments at the end of the year, the Auburn game down the wire, uh, the SEC championship game against Georgia, shining moments, walked away with the Heisman. And, 
you know, he was so humble when he stepped up there and talked. And I just, I don't think, I know as my freshman and sophomore year, I, I was just an athletic kid playing. I was quiet. I was afraid to talk to my coaches. I was afraid to ask questions. I didn't handle the media well. It took me a few years to get comfortable doing all that. These kids today and what they're exposed to, and be, maybe because of social media through their high school years and forward, they've been more and more careful about the things they've had to say publicly, and uh, they're more aware. But uh, hat, hat off to them for, for just handling themselves so well. Um, you know, I've had an opportunity on a couple other podcasts to talk about my Heisman experience, and I did just kind of realized that I had never talked about it on ours. And uh, it, it was absolutely amazing. And I was so thankful that it was my senior year that it happened because I was much more mature. I did come in third my junior year, so I, I got a taste in New York and then came back my senior year and won it. Um, but the, the day of was absolutely amazing. I had, the Miami game was the week before. I was the dead front runner. There's no doubt about it in everybody's mind that I was going to win the Heisman, except for in mine, of course. And uh, we played Holy Cross that day, and I'm thinking about a thousand different things. I had a very mediocre game that day against Holy Cross. We do blow them out 45-10 to open it up in the second half, all that. But after the game, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, for whatever reason, she knows better than this, came down on the field, wanted to say hi after the game, uh, doing a live interview on the field with Kirk Dowdy. They went to a commercial break before doing the interview, so the field got flooded. It was a total zoo on the field. And uh, she gets lost in the shuffle. I hear her voice. She like yells, Doug. Now there's a thousand people yelling, Doug, but you know her voice. When she says it, you jump, right? So she, I heard the voice turned. I go to grab her. She gets knocked over, dropped her purse, purse all over the ground in the middle of the field of thousands of people scrambling around. Anyway, we get to the locker room. I go into some quick post-game interviews. But my family, my, my girlfriend and I, we all, who is my wife. So I'm just going to call her my wife from now on. So we go on. And we jump in a, a van, head to a local airport. We head to a local airport where there's a private plane waiting. We jump. Now, I've never ridden on a private jet. We go to take off, and they pour drinks and all this stuff. On the, my dad got a whole tray full of drinks dumped on his lap as we take off. Um, we, we go. We land at Teterboro over in Jersey. Uh, get off the plane. They have a helicopter waiting to fly me over to the city, but there's only two seats available. So I kind of ticked my parents off a little bit by picking my girlfriend at the time, my wife, and we jump in and head over. They jump in a limo and they're heading over to New York City. We get to the city and we had a little bit of extra time. We had about an hour before the show starts. So the uh, pilot says, would you like a tour of the city? And I'm like, that would be awesome. And so they got permission from the tower. We do a little wheel around Manhattan, you know, Statue of Liberty, Twin Tower, you name it. We saw everything. And uh, just a really, really cool experience for a 20 year old kid who's done nothing. I was 22 at the time. I guess I'd already turned 22, but I'd done nothing in my life. I, this was the coolest thing I've ever done in my life. This is, this is absolutely ridiculous. We land across the street from the downtown athletic club at a heliport and they've got a limo waiting there. My wife and I jump into the limo and we go like 50 feet across the street to the downtown athletic club. Like apparently it's too difficult to walk. So we, we go in. We go up to a room, they've got it catered, they've got some food for us, um, and maybe a half hour to kill there. My, my wife looks at me, you know, you think they would have gone through all this if you didn't win? So that, I'm starting to get a little confident then, but still that moment before the announcement, a lot of anticipation, uncertainty. It actually had become such the front runner by that time that 
I was formulating the thoughts in my head. What do I say if I don't win? And that became the fear. But I did win and it was a blast. It was so much fun. Uh, the guys that were there with me were Bernie Kozar and uh, Keith Byers from Ohio State. Um, had a blast of a weekend. Really cool night because after the announcement, we got back on the private plane. I had a bunch of commitments to do in New York, but I wanted to get back to campus. And I actually I got back to campus that night with the Heisman and, and spent some time with the guys. And just the, the coolest part of the whole night was, was being back with my teammates on campus at Boston College. Uh, coming up today, I have Luke Keekley as my guest, a Boston College guy, speaking of BC. Uh, linebacker, seven-time Pro Bowler, won every award possible out there. Rookie of the year, defensive MVP in his first two years. It was just amazing to, to watch his eight-year career. Um, coming up, Luke Keekley. Hey, everyone. Lindsay Rhodes here. And if you love football, you're going to love my podcast, The NFL Roadshow. With episodes Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we cover every NFL angle and talk to guests from across the NFL world, Hall of Famers, analytics nerds, and I say that lovingly as someone who wants to be an analytics nerd very badly, fantasy football experts, all of it. They're discussions you're not going to find anywhere else. So please, subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts or listen on the SXM app, included with most subscriptions. All right, well, I want to welcome my guest Luke Keekley this week. Luke is a... Boston College alumnus, a two-time All-American at linebacker. Shoot, he, he made an impact right away freshman year, stepping on the field. Comes out his rookie year in the NFL, wins rookie of the year. Second year, wins defensive MVP. Goes to seven Pro Bowls in eight years. And just, you know, I, I had the other route. I went in and just like hung on by a thread as long as I could and just tried to make a roster. Luke, you went in wherever you went and took it by storm. Uh, congratulations, a phenomenal career. And uh, just... How about we'll start with that? How about the transition to just jumping into the NFL and being a performer day one? I tell you what, you learn a lot early in the NFL and you better figure it out quickly because all these guys are good. Everybody's big. Everybody's strong. And I think the thing that everybody in college is big, big, strong, athletic, can move. But you don't always play guys that are consistently doing their job at a high level. They understand, especially offensive linemen, they don't understand angles where you're going to be post-snap as a backer and that was the one thing that caught me right away I was in the backside of a of a zone play and I got cut off by the tackle like five times in a row and when I was in college like I never that never happened and I was like what like what is going on guy's 330 pounds and he's reaching me and I'm in the backside b gap and he's crushing me and you start watching tape and that guy's angle off the ball is so flat in college they come like right to you they act like you're not going to move in the NFL, all these guys are so smart. They understand angles. They understand where the ball is going, where you're going to be. So it uh, it took a little bit of time to figure that part out. And then guys in the NFL, man, they just like they they know they're they're more physical. I think they're just grown man strong. They they're they're way more naturally physical than they were in college, just because I think everybody's they just get the game better. And so that took me a little while. So early on, you watch my first like four or five games, I'm just getting bullied, thrown on the ground. I'm getting cut off and getting run over. And luckily, luckily they gave me a little bit of a string to figure things out a little bit. But I remember that first game we played Tampa and I had some learning lessons in there that, uh, that weren't so fun, but you know, you either, you learn from them or you don't. And fortunately for me, coach Rivera and all the guys, 
helped me a lot my first year and even into my second and third year figured things out. But there's a there's a lot of those. Hey, you're in the NFL now. The stuff that used to work doesn't work anymore. So it was it was a learning process. Well, that's yeah. You say four or five games, and I, it's like it took four or five years for most guys to get comfortable. Let's go back. How'd you end up? Like we end up getting this kid. Okay, I, I tell this story all the time. Your first game, you're playing, and I'm I'm flipping through. I'm with my daughter. She's about your age. Um. And we're flipping through and she's like looking at the guys, like who's pers- perspective uh, boyfriend thing here, right? Like at the yeah. guys, who's the next? <laughs> and I go, well, not this guy, right? And I point right to Luke Keekley with the nerdy glasses in the high school picture. I go, who is this guy? This guy's a football player? Was that your senior uh, picture? What was that? Yeah, so I went to I went to a Catholic all-boys school. It was a Jesuit <laughs> school, which lent itself to BC, obviously. But I we had to wear a uniform, so I wore khaki pants. I wore khaki pants with a belt, collared shirt, tucked in. I had like a Afro, I wore glasses and I carried a huge lunchbox around. My mom would make us the best lunches every day, all my brothers and I, and it was just packed. Like, cause you had to put weight on, you had to keep weight on. So it was like a, my mom would like make like a five course meal for lunch. So you'd carry around like this huge lunchbox. I had all my books and they're like, hey, Luke's in chemistry class. Wait till he gets done with class and you can talk to him. And all these coaches are like, this guy is a nerd. This, <laughs> this guy's a nerd. And then I got to BC and, and like, and it just, you know, I, things worked out, but I was, I would definitely, these coaches came in and if I was a coach and I recruited me, I'm like, this guy's a, a nerd. We, <laughs> we don't need him. He looks like a nerd, but he doesn't do very well in school. He's like the worst kind of a looking nerd. Uh, so, so how'd you end up at BC? How, how'd that all? Yeah. So for the longest, for Tom O'Brien was at BC. He was a St. X guy, and then he was just pulling guys out of St. X to go play at BC. So he was there, and then when OB went down to NC State, it continued um, pulling guys. So when I was being recruited, Nick Larkin was there. He was like the monster at St. X that we all watched growing up. And then Alex Albright followed Nick, and I was a freshman when Alex was a senior at St. X, and Alex was like the man. And then when I was being recruited – um, you know, when you're being recruited, you know, you get recruited by the coaches and you can talk to, you know, players on the team and, you know, you get a good feel for them, but you don't really, you don't really feel like you know any of them right away. But at BC, I, I was able to talk to Alex and he knew where I was from. He knew the football program I came from. My parents knew his parents. He was about as helpful as he could have been when I was being recruited. Plus academically, BC was is fantastic. You know, that was a school that I wouldn't have been able to get into without football. So that was another, another win. Matt was there and they were, they were playing really good football. So it kind of just, it really just kind of fell into place. Academics are great. I love that. It was right outside of Boston. It's a Jesuit school, like my high school. And then Alex was there and it was just, he was such a good resource when I was at school. How was, uh, how I remember walking in as a freshman at BC and, and I was talking this story about Heisman winners and these kids that are winning as sophomores, freshmen and how mature they are. I was, you know, I was number one, I was an undersized guy that really didn't belong in a division one school, according to everyone that recruited me. So I just was excited to be there, but scared stiff of getting, you know, of what the surroundings and the whole thing. Um, how were you able to step in as a freshman and perform right away? How, what was that transition there like? I think I had a really good, uh, <clears throat> I had a really good group of guys that I came in with. 
Um, we had probably eight, seven or eight guys that we still talk all the time, all the time today. And those guys, it was, we all went through the same stuff together. We were part of workout groups and classes and commiserating in our rooms together. And it was just, we got to go through it. I didn't, I, I didn't go through it by myself. You know, I had my own journey, but my, my roommate, Jake Sinkovec, one of my best friends, we both played linebacker and it was just so easy to talk about stuff with everybody else that was going through it. And I had some other buddies that were on the offensive side of the ball. And it was just so, I was so fortunate to have good guys around me that were going through it, that were just solid dudes that you could worry about football, but when you got done with football, you're just hanging with your boys. So it wasn't like football, 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 football. It was like, I'm going to do my football stuff. And then when I get back to the dorms, I'm just going to hang with my boys. I think that was a big part of it. And then, you know, I had guys like Mark and Mike Morrissey and Mac, Mike McLaughlin that were just super helpful. I just got put in a great situation. Bill McGovern, our linebacker coach, or I'm sorry, yeah, our linebacker coach, D coordinator is like the best dude ever. And we just, I just had a very good situation. And um, that was, that was the thing that I think helped me the most. Yeah. Bill McGovern still tells the story of picking me off. He played for Holy Cross when we were in college. Yeah, of course. Played, of course. course. Still yeah. What sets you up? I mean, day one, you're making, you're leading the team in tackles. You're leading, you know, you did it when you got to the NFL. What do you do differently? What, what, you know, you talk about how good these offensive linemen are and they take the right angles and these guys are the best in the business. Um, is what did you feel was your edge? Well, I think there's a, a lot of stuff that kind of went into it. I think, I think one of them honestly was I had always played in such a good system. You know, when I was at BC, we, we were a four, three and it just lent itself to Mike backers being able to run to the ball. That's what I was good at. And same thing in Carolina is we ran a four, three, I played inside backer and we were, we were just, just run, get to the ball, get to the ball, get to the ball. And I think the only reason that really works is if you have big guys in front of you, defensive line, especially the, especially the inside two guys, the three in the shade. Like if you don't have those guys, then you're just humping guards all day. You're trying to hit centers and that's just zero fun. So I had studs at BC. And then when I got to, got to Carolina going into my second year, we drafted um, 2D tackles in the first round and the second round star and KK and those guys, man, just, like beasts. So Thomas and I would just run around all game and hit guys. And it was like the easiest job in the world. See, I, I have no idea what that's about. Cause I played, th I put pads on for 35 years from yeah. the time I was eight years old till I was 43 years old. I still haven't hit anybody. Hey, <laughs> it's a good, it's, I'll tell you what, it's way better to hit somebody than get hit. Yeah. I, I could imagine. What was your highlight highlight of your Boston college uh, stint? Oh man. You know, game wise or bowl wise or team we played we played florida state my freshman year college game day at night and i mean as an 18 year old kid you grow up watching saturday night football game day and that was my first i mean we played clemson at clemson and death valley i mean that was sick but we played florida state at home at alumni the crowd was bumping it was just, that was sick. That was super fun for me. Um, it was just kind of like this, we're playing college football now, you know? And that to me was one of my first memories of college football is awesome. Yeah. Big time experience. And yeah. I, I was fortunate. I, we played at Clemson. Uh, we were 
101-1 against Clement, Clemson and 2-0 and against Alabama. There you go. I said. So it was like these were my big, the, the game at Alabama for me going into that atmosphere was just absolutely nuts, crazy. Like moving on to the NFL, how about your, your highlight experience there? That, that 2015 season we had, we were 15-1, and one, went to the Super Bowl. We had two home playoff games. I mean, that was, that was awesome. We didn't lose a game until Christmas. Um, the stadium was bumping. The city was awesome. The two playoff games we played were just so fun, so much energy. The guys that were on that team were awesome. Tons of, like, really fun. You know, we played at Thanksgiving, on Thanksgiving, down in Dallas against Cowboys. Just the – you know how it is. You get a good group of guys that are winning games. Every day is awesome. You had, we had, you know, each day was different. Monday, we were always off because we won, but everybody would come in. Tuesday, Thomas would bring in Bojangles every day, every, every week out of the year. So, like, you go in on Tuesday, you get Bojangles. Wednesday, what was Wednesday? Wednesday was kind of a, it's your work day. That was kind of a grinder day. Um, but Thursday, Cam would always get order tons of tacos for the quarterback room. And it was like he ordered way too much on purpose. So that way other people could come in. So after meetings in the afternoon, if you wanted to like an afternoon snack, Cam had all kinds of tacos. And then he'd take the tacos that were left over and bring them down to the training room and like set it up really pretty. So it's like you started in the quarterback room and then you transitioned into the training room. And like we just we just always we we're just always at the facility, always having a good time. And it was just awesome. Is it and, and I fought with this a little bit. Does winning breed guys getting along together or is it because everybody's getting along game? There's this camaraderie and this common goal thing that happens that teams start to win. I mean, it's a big factor. I think it's the latter one. We said it's good dudes, right? Because if it's, if you have good dudes and everybody gets along, you've got good camaraderie. Then when you do lose, that's inevitable, right? Then everyone's going to be okay because everybody gets along. Everybody works hard. Everybody knows what they need to do to fix it. But if you just simply rely on winning and you don't have good dudes, eventually when you do lose that game, everybody's going to point fingers. So I think, I think winning perpetuates and makes everything better, but I think the best way to do it is to have a backbone of good dudes that understand that winning is a result of preparation, being around the right guys, having a good attitude, um, because when you get to Sunday, it's all what you did leading up to it that matters. Not what you necessarily do on Sunday, but the prep and everything that goes into making sure you're ready for Sunday. Okay. I've had a bunch of the older guys on the show earlier during the offseason and all that. And we, we get into this. Now, you're so much younger that you're probably not going to have the best. What is the worst stadium slash locker room you've ever been in? And you can go back. Maybe I don't know about high school, but what was your worst conditions? Worst conditions. You know what? New Orleans has a small locker room. It's small. It's cramped. There's no space. Um, low ceilings, old metal lockers, old carpet. But you know what? If I was the if I was the Saints, I would keep that. I would never change that locker room. The training room's small. The showers are small. Like it's cramped. I would do that's it's. But it's like part of the game. Like I love going to that situation and you're just in an old locker room you can hear the fans outside the locker room because the door you can there's a door that goes out to the concourse level in the locker room you can hear them going by it's it's like a hostile environment and like i love it i love it we played there played there every year obviously so (laughs) that was that was it um hostile 
cramped, not a lot of room, but it makes when you do win down there, it makes it so much more fun because there's everybody's right on top of each other and you get to enjoy it together. Okay. When I was at Boston College, you actually had to leave the stadium, go across the street up to what was Robert Center across the street, up the ramp, into the building, into the back of the building was our locker room. And it was one of those little tiny metal lockers, little things up top. And, all. and then by the time you get there, two minute speech, you turn around, you go back down the ramp and it's cement and you're wearing cleats. You're slipping. It's slipping. It's like, it, yeah. And so we, we laughed at our locker room and our, our weight room. I, I'm trying to think of a room right now that you would relate to. Um, I don't know. All of our facilities in general could have fit in your old, training room have you seen the new facility oh it's ridiculous oh how about gosh. that how about how about talk a little bit about boston college's new facilities that indoor facility is off the chain yeah. unbelievable like it's perfect it, there's a weight room there the indoors it's they it's very it's just everybody's like what's the deal with the indoor and it's it's a professionally done indoor facility that is just it's just perfect I See, our, our indoor facility was the plex Oh yeah, we we go over to Plex and steal a corner of it and run some walk through stuff. Um, but how about the program now? I mean, I, I I never thought I would see the day where BC spent that kind of money on oh. an in, indoor facility. It's beautiful. I love I love Halfley. Pat Crafts, awesome. They've got a good group over there. I went to what, what game did we, were we at? Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech. That was awesome. It's just it's fun to see them. It's fun to see them doing well. I'm really excited about. Halfley, the facilities have improved immensely. They've got good dudes there. I'm I'm excited for what they have moving forward. I just wish I could have enjoyed the the plex a little. You can look like there's windows everywhere. There's tons of natural light. You look right out into the res into downtown Boston. I mean, that's like the ultimate uh, closer for getting a recruit. It's like, hey, look, man, this is where you practice every day. It's, it's I mean, and you know, from a standpoint of recruiting, we're just talking real quick. Off, they built a brand new recreation facility. That is amazing. I got over there and played a little old man pickup ball. Uh, <laughs> jump on the T. You're in Boston in 10 minutes. It's just uh, the T is the public transportation. By Can't the way. beat it. It's really. I mean, I, I love the school. Always have. And I, I agree with the Hathley thing. We re-signed them five years. Uh, it's it's really exciting. And then uh, Jerkovic coming back for another year. Yeah. He's, what is he? 34, 35 years old now? I think he's, like, I think he, he's 33, I think. <laughs> It's amazing because he had COVID years. What are you up to now? What's going on in your world? So I finished working with the team um, last year, right up kind of free agency time, kind of just hanging this year. Um, I love to hunt fish. Yeah. So the best time, one of the best times to do that is obviously the fall. So this fall has kind of been that. So I, you know, went up to BC. I went on a couple of trips with my dad and brother and cousins and um, went to a couple of Panthers games. So where my parents sat when I was playing, um, we sat in those seats on Sunday to watch the Panthers game. So it's really cool to, you know, they sat up in those seats and I could, I could wave to them. I knew where they sat. And then it was cool to go sit in those seats and get to get the perspective of what they were looking at when I was playing. So, you know, I went home for Thanksgiving. I'm going to go home for Christmas. This fall has been a really cool opportunity for me to kind of take some time to myself, but also to experience some things that, you know, the last 12 years since I got to BC, I haven't been able to do it. Well, you know, you talking hunting, fishing, you're talking the outside stuff. And I, I, before we came on, I was talking with my producer about this. He's doing another show right now with Brett Favre. And Brett Favre and I are very similar mindset. Mm -hmm. 
I want to put together a show and you are definitely a candidate for this. I want to put together a show where we just do adventures. We do mm-hmm. the last adventure I did, I did a little sizzle reel hot. We jumped on jet skis down in uh, Miami and went to the Bahamas on jet skis. Whoa. <laughs> and back. So we're going to do surf trips. We're going to do whatever, you name it. And uh, I'm, your name is now in the ring and I need you all in. Done. <laughs> if, right. you're going, if you're going surfing, one of my buddies I played with at BC, Mike Naples, lives, lives in LA. He's a he's a big surfer now too. So he might, you and him might have to give me some lessons. Uh, all right, we'll track him down. We'll get now the the one thing about surfing, and I've got my surfing Santa's hat on right now while we're talking. Yeah. Surfing Santa's is a charity event that we do down here in Florida at Cocoa Beach that uh, raises money for a lot of the local sports, local surf teams primarily, but also helps uh, cancer patients with their bills and extra expenses, things like that. And uh, it's a Christmas morning where we all go out at 8 a.m. It's usually cold. I know it's Florida and it's not cold, but it's like 55 degrees out usually. You're in a wetsuit and there's a thousand surfboards in the water. People running over each other. It's just a, a, a community waves, party waves, but a lot of fun. So it's a great charity event. I'd so be we, scared of sharks. I think I'd be a little bit scared of sharks. So. That's, that's, that's where bit, I was headed. a little bit intimidating. I'm not going to lie. Have you ever seen a shark or have you ever been in the water with a shark? No, but I'm okay. I'm good. I'm getting only way I see a shark is if I'm in a cage and he's <laughs> floating around me. I'm not, that's, I don't know. They, like I'm in their environment. They're bigger than me. They could bite me. Like I just, I'm not a very good, I can swim, but I don't, I can't get away from anything. So you know what? You I might got, have to, you might, you might be able to convince me to do it, but I think I'd, uh, yeah. in a cage, nervous. in a cage. Uh, that's, that's how I, I don't like leaving it up to the shark. All right. It's like these guys, I, I'm in the water a lot. I've gone to basically in Florida. We have a lot of sharks. We have a lot of smaller sharks, but the big ones show up. You're not, you're not helping yourself getting me under this surfing <laughs> deal. If you're saying there's a lot of them down there. We'll put you on a stand up. We'll put you on a stand up. Well, a glass bottom boat. How's that? That almost might be scarier. That way, if I don't see them, I'll, I'll think that they're not there. But if I do see them, then I'll freak out. Oh, it, it's going to be, I, you know what? There's, the more that I've seen sharks, and I see them a lot. I just saw one two days ago. Um, you realize that they're just buzzing along and chasing fish and going around you. Like, like if you're there and you see a fin, it's going to go right back under and go to that side. Or it's going to go around and go chase whatever it's chasing. I, I do agree, though. I don't want to be in the water with them. I don't want to leave it up to them and have them make that decision. I always talk about that. My son has autism. We've had a foundation for 24 years in his name. Um, what if it's the shark that has autism and doesn't know any better, right? He's going to go get you. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I don't taste, maybe I smell bad and don't want to eat me. So they say that a lot of it happens actually in the shallow water, like you, like mm. a bottom of a bottom of your foot flashes and it's like paler or something. And they, they go at it like a small fish. That's I'm going to get in a tanning bed though. And make sure that I'm got yeah, a base layer. No, no jewelry, no, no cool colors. And they also no. say there's a, there's a fish called a, uh, a lion fish. It's black and white striped. That is yeah. poisonous to sharks, so they stay away from that. So people put black and white stripes on the bottom of their board. Uh, I don't know. We'll take I, a look at it. Anyway, we'll get together. We'll have some fun. We'll uh, go to some more BC games together. Maybe we get get this show on the road and, and do some adventure shows together. Luke, thanks so much for joining me. Appreciate it. You're the best. Absolutely. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, buddy. Luke Keekley, everybody. Hey everyone, Lindsay Rhodes here, and if you love football, you're gonna love my podcast, The NFL Roadshow. 
With episodes Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we cover every NFL angle and talk to guests from across the NFL world, Hall of Famers, analytics nerds, and I say that lovingly as someone who wants to be an analytics nerd very badly, fantasy football experts, all of it. They're discussions you're not going to find anywhere else. So please, subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts or listen on the SXM app, included with most subscriptions. So Cliff, what do we have for uh, Twitter questions today? What do we got going on out there in Twitter world? All right, Doug, first one is... Who was your favorite to win the NFL MVP? I went through that today, actually. So this is a good timing. Right now, it's Tom Brady. Tom Brady, with a few weeks to go, is just head and shoulders. Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is uh, having an unbelievable year as well. And he's, you know, the one thing about Aaron is if he's not on that team, they're 500 at best. And he just carries them to a whole new level. The, the difference is Tom's played every game. And... Uh, right now, he's the front, I would say he's the front runner for sure. In my mind, Tom Brady. Doug, next question. How are you able to complete passes sometimes when your feet were off the ground and <laughs> higher than your head? Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think what we're talking about is a handful of jump passes. And, and, and that's one thing, being an athlete. And I, you see it in Patrick Mahomes. You see it in Kyler Murray. Guys that were baseball players. When we played, I, played, I was a middle infielder. Played second base, played short. You threw from whatever position your feet were in at that moment. When the ball had to go, it had to go. So sometimes you're leaning off your right foot, so you throw it sidearm. Sometimes you're on your left foot, so it's it's natural. It just it could be a jump pass. Uh, yeah, you you have this vision of Derek Jeter going those backhanded short jumping, and there's this moment at the top of the jump where you kind of snap your hips and your shoulder, and there's a fraction of a second there where everything comes to a pause, and you loading up and and you fire. Um, I had two really, really nice uh, jump passes that I remember. And one was against the Jets for a touchdown to Peerless Price when I was playing with Buffalo. And one was the David Boston. We were playing Minnesota in San Diego and he's running the crossing route. And I was running the bootleg and the guy's running right at me. And David had a step on the guy on a crosser. But I, if I just throw, he's going to bat it right back in my face. So as I got to my left foot, I jumped, turned the hips like a shortstop and turned the body and threw it. and um it's that that's the difference between the athlete guys you know I, I i rave about tom brady i rave about aaron well aaron Rodgers might be i don't think tom has jump passes in him especially at 44 now but i wouldn't count him out from anything but the guys like kyler murray guys like patrick mahomes uh guys that have played a lot of baseball and and tom did play baseball i think he was a catcher um it just it's a natural thing to throw the ball from any arm angle, from any position. And because of my size, it really helped. And it really became, uh, because a lot of times I would have to take a couple of quick steps, even if I took a regular drop, to slide in an angle to get around the defensive end to throw the, throw the ball to the tight end position or hit a back or something like that. And, uh, you know, I never thought about it. I never thought of it as anything special. It was just something you did. And those are the athletic guys, the guy. And I keep going back to those two guys, Mahomes and, and Tyler Murray, that have the baseball backgrounds that can can do all that. And, uh, you know, those those are the things that kind of equal the playing field for the little guy. Here we go. All right. So, Doug, here's the next one. This is actually more of like a more of a thank you. So here here's a note. I have to say thank you for making 11 year old me so happy in 1984. I wrote to you at Boston College and asked for a jersey. I didn't get a jersey but I got a letter and autographed picture. So thank you for making me the girl in school with the coolest picture in my locker. Very cool. That's, um, you know, 
thank goodness it's someone I actually got back to. <laughs> I did a really good job back then. And, and now I get lazy. Now I like let stuff pile up and then hit it once every three or four months and just get through stuff and get it out there. But it's really cool to hear. And, and you don't realize as a player, you, it doesn't, how special it is to some of these people, you know, that they get. And, and I noticed it, I, I talked about in the monologue that I, I bumped into a, a Bills fan that was wearing my jersey and I said, hi. And you, you kind of, it, it, it hits home how important some of this stuff is. And, and I think back to my days as a, as a kid going to, I lived in Florida as a little kid and we'd go down to Vero Beach to Dodger Town and I was a big Orioles fan. So when the Orioles would come over and play a spring training game, I'd go down there and I had the opportunity to meet Brooks Robinson. And I tell that story all the time. I'm 59 years old. I still tell that story all the time. I got to meet Brooks Robinson. He signed a baseball for me, blah, blah, blah. Of course, I used the baseball the next day out in the street and, and have no idea where it is today, but, um, or it got ruined, I'm sure. Um, so that's really cool and nice to hear. And uh, it, it's nice to be in a position where you can bring a little happiness to somebody or, or you know, make their day. Um, and, you know, it, it just, you never saw yeah, it's one thing I say to the younger guys, you're going to uh, add something Brooks Robinson said to me um, when I met him and talked to him years later, well, during my playing days. He said, you're going to meet the same people on the way down as you did on the way up. So you better be nice. Remember, you can get the Flutie Flakes cast on Apple, Pandora and Stitcher or wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to rate and review. Sirius XM Podcasts.